our cozy new home. And um, yeah, I hope that it, I hope this works out all right. Can you guys hear in the back? Can Mike Nelson hear? Yeah, all right. Ciara says yes. Mike Nelson can't hear anything. Come on now. <laughs> Can you hear Mike? All right, that's good. Hey, you know, they're asking these little kids what they want to be when they grow up, you know, and I, I was trying to put myself back in that place. Um, man, when I was a little kid, you walk in my room, I had airplane pictures everywhere. I'd go down to the airport and sit in Piper Aircraft and try to play with all the switches, and I, I would have told you I want to be an airplane pilot, and God had different ideas. Um, I wasn't as smart as this little kid. They asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I would like to be a retired lottery winner. <laughs> now that kid needs a scholarship. That's, that is actually, that's good. One more for you this morning. I thought this was good. After COVID, how many of you have felt like um, COVID for some reason just generates this desire inside of you for carbohydrates? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that works, but it just does. You're like, hey, I used to walk by the donut thing. Now you're like, wait a minute, what's, what is that? It's a donut. Oh. Uh, so anyway, this guy goes to the doctor for the first time after COVID. Uh, I would recommend that if you can, just postpone that, that uh, well visit as long as you can. So he gets on the scale, and the doctor's face looks like, oh, my goodness. He says, well, he says, sir, it seems that your weight is actually perfect. He says, you just happen to be 11 feet too short. <laughs> I really like that. I think that's good. Let's pray. We're going to dig back into uh, to Romans chapter 10. We'll pick up and then back over into 11. Lord, as we come together today, uh, let us come as a people who we love each other. Uh, we, we recognize, Lord, that you've put us here in this place in this time to, uh, to make some impact on this little island that we're a part of. And this is a day, Lord, when people so need to hear your word and to hear hope and to just know another person that cares about them. And so, Lord, give us that spirit, that attitude, that uh, desire to serve others. As we open up this word, Lord, challenge us through it. Remind us of the, the, uh, the very heart of what, uh, what Romans is about. Uh, it's about people and it's about bringing hope to people. So, Lord, be with us in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Amen. I want to take you back to uh, chapter 10, verse 14, and uh, kind of get us back into um, this. I was gone last week, uh, so kind of get us back into this chapter, and I'm hoping today to finish chapter 10 to get a little bit into chapter 11. Uh, when you get into chapter 10, there's a question that's being asked, and it's a question that I'm asked all the time. And the question is, well, how, how does a person come to faith? How do, we, how do I become a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, every time I do a baptism, you know, I will, I will try to just stop with a family and take what we call the Great Commission and try to pull it apart. And the reason I do that is we, we as Lutherans, our church body is very sacramentally focused. That's not bad, uh, but... A lot, of, a lot of times we put so much emphasis on, on the sacraments that I think we forget that the power of the sacraments is, is the word itself. Uh, so we, we talk a lot about baptism as Lutherans, and we, and we should. And yet at the same time, 
-hmm. What is baptism other than the application of God's word in the life of a person, whether that person is an infant, a young adult, an, an adult? So when I do a baptism, I go, listen, hey, let's just listen to the, that day when Jesus commissioned his church. That's what we call it, the Great Commission. And remember what he said. And, um, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's getting ready to depart this world. And he says, I want you to uh, be going about. Uh, it's actually a participle in the, the Greek New Testament. I want you to be going about. And I want you to be making disciples. And I always tell people, now just stop there. I say, what are we here to do today? Oh, we're here to have a baptism. I'm like, no, I don't think so. What are we here to do today? What are your hopes for your kiddo? Uh, that they get baptized. And we got some lunch waiting here, so let's make, the, let's make this snappy. I'm like, no, no, really, what are the hopes for your kids? Spiritually, what are your hopes? Well, I want them to grow up and to know Jesus. I'm like, oh, that would be good. Uh, what else? What are, your, what are your hopes? Well, uh, I hope that they are able to learn the Ten Commandments. I'm like, oh, okay. We don't know this word disciple, right? Because it's strange to us. Jesus says, I want you to be going about making disciples. Well, to, to, to be a disciple, you know, about the best description I can give of it today is, it's, is to be a, a journeyman, right? So I always take people back into uh, that New Testament world where um, if I wanted to become a plumber, I would do what? I would live with a plumber. And I'd say, okay, show me how to be a plumber. Show me everything about it because I want to live the way you live. If I wanted to learn how to be, do physical therapy, I wouldn't go to school. That's a waste of time and money. I'd call Kurt. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to come live with you for a while. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, sure, fine. Just ask my wife. <laughs> uh, I want to live with you. I really want to know how to do this, but I don't, want to, I don't need a bunch of books. Just show me. Could you do that? If I spent about a year with you, I'd be pretty good at physical therapy, I hope. When Jesus says make disciples, here's what he's saying is make people like me. Help them live the way I live, right? And so when I'm baptizing a baby or a young adult or an adult, what I'm saying is what are your hopes here? Your hopes should be that this person becomes someone who, for whom uh, following Jesus Christ does not mean, hey, I just I go to church once a week or, hey, I get confirmed. It means I'm gonna I want to live the way Jesus lived. What, what made his heart beat fast? What, what caused him to say, this is important? What, what, what made Jesus Jesus? Because I want to live that way. And then I'll always stop and I'll say, okay, have you ever been able to make someone a disciple? You, you personally, have you ever been able to make someone a disciple? Most Christians tell me, no, I've never, never done that. I'm like, okay, have you ever tried? Well, I've got a cousin who doesn't believe, and you know, I've tried to tell him about Jesus. I go, share with you. what do you do? I tell him they better believe or they're gonna go to hell. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's really great technique right there. I'm like, no, sir, if you wanted to make a disciple, is it easy to make someone a disciple? No, it's not. You know what, because I'm not Jesus. This is why Paul, when you get into the epistles and you follow him closely, he actually tells people, I want you to imitate me. He actually tells people that. Not because he wants people to be like Paul, but because Paul is imitating the one who taught him. I want you to imitate me. I want you to live this way. And, uh, and so when we're, when we're doing a baptism, again, I'll say, okay, go and make disciples. It's not very easy to make a disciple. In fact, here's the reality. You can't. 
I can't cause someone to believe. I can't cause it. And so if I'm, a, if I'm one of Jesus' apostles and I'm standing with him and he says, hey guys, while you're going about, I want you to be making disciples, my hand's in the air and my first question is how? How would I do that? And if you pay attention to the text itself, here's what it says. Baptizing them. That's where it starts. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let them die to their lives and be risen up by me and be be, start to become new people. And those very next words are what? And teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. In other words, get them into this word because the word is what changes us. That's the question being asked. How do you, how do you make someone a believer? And it always comes back to this one thing. I have to help people get into the word of God because it alone is, holds the power through which God works faith in a person's life and through which God changes us, makes me a different person. If you, if you read this whole section, that's what is being proclaimed here by Paul. I want you to just read it with me. Verse 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how do they become a believer? How are they going to do that? The answer, and, and how are they to believe in him of whom they, ne they never heard of him? How, how are they going to do that? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And uh, so what, what I always come back to here is, I think sometimes we read this verse and we attribute it to preachers. And that has been the Western church, you know, since the time of Constantine. In other words, we say, well, Romans 10 says, how are they to hear, how are they to believe? You have to send someone, and that person has to preach to them. And so everybody in the room, do this with me. Go like this. No, really, do this with me. No, really, let's try that one more time. Like that. Because who's the preacher? Everybody just point to him. So it's okay. You can go ahead and do that. Who's the preacher? Yeah, we all look at it and we go like, that, that guy up there, there's Pastor Mike right back. There's the preacher right there. He can do it. How are they to hear unless, unless somebody preached? Go, Pastor Mike, what are you sitting there for? Get out there and get preaching. Right? That's what we do with it. I stopped last time we were together and I really wanted to pull this word out because the term that's translated to preach in your English Bibles is improperly translated, in my opinion. In my opinion, it's improperly translated. Here's why. It's not wrong, but it just really doesn't grab the essence of the term. The actual word that's being used here is the Greek word keruso. It doesn't mean to preach, it means to proclaim. And all of a sudden, that changes things because now it's no longer Pastor Mike or Pastor Luke or Pastor Carl or a church worker. Now it, as Pastor Tim over here said, applies to all of us. I'm a proclaimer. You're a proclaimer. And um, so what does it mean to Caruso to proclaim? And for me, the, as you pull apart the New Testament and you look at these words, there, there's something beautiful about this term. Here, here's a literal definition. To proclaim means to speak the word of God. Not, you don't, it doesn't mean I just come stand over you and start reading the Bible. No. It doesn't mean I, I give you a sermon. It means I, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. 
in a way that is appropriate for, for you to actually hear who he is, right? But it also means that I'm doing it, watch this, in such a way that cries out, and I put into parentheses these words, gut-wrenching, cries out in a gut-wrenching way for the spirit to work faith. I put those terms in parentheses because I really, really come back to them again and again in my life. And I'm just going to admit this to you. It's easy for me sometimes to forget that every single person you see, every person you meet, every person whose eyes you look into was a soul made by Jesus Christ for himself. And sometimes I can just get distant from people. And I don't have that sense inside of me. When I say gut-wrenching, what I'm talking about is think about a parent who's looking at their children. And I say to that mom or to that dad, what's your greatest hope for your son or your daughter? And they can go on about, well, I hope they get a degree in this and they go to this college and that they have a happy life or they get married. And I go, I go okay, all of that's really good stuff. Now let me ask you again, what's your ultimate desire for your son or your daughter? Every parent will say to me, I want him in heaven. In other words, if I'm in heaven and my kids are not in heaven, I, I, can't, I can't reconcile that inside of me. It breaks me. I want my child to be with me in heaven. That's gut-wrenching stuff. Do I, do I have that same gut-wrenching sense when I meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ? I'm being honest today. No, I don't. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, uh, share the word, don't share the word, it doesn't matter. No, what, what, what Paul is saying here is here's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Part of it is to, to live, to be going about in a way that I see myself as a proclaimer, not a preacher, a proclaimer, a person who desires to share Jesus Christ with other people in a way that says, I, I want to see you in heaven. I want to see you in heaven. Um, one of my prayers every day is for this, to, to be true for me, is to say, okay, Lord, uh, I don't know where all you will take me today, but wherever you take me today, would you, would you let me be aware enough to see people you want me to talk to, to listen to people you want me to listen to, to, to share with people who you want me to share with. And uh, my best days, every single week, my very best days are those days when I, when I find myself thinking, oh, here it is. This is that appointment God made for me. Here's a person. And I don't pull out my Bible and beat them with it or tell them, you know, you better believe this. I just listen to them. But I always want to steer the question back around to, to one thing is, hey, tell me this. What happens when you die? What happens when you die? well, we really don't know what happens when you die, or, oh, you just go into the ground and that's it, or, oh, well, you go to heaven. Okay, what's heaven? What's where everybody goes when they die? Everybody? Yeah, everybody goes when you get... I love to just have those conversations with people, and you can, I'm just telling you, you can have them all day long if you will just say to yourself, God, let me pay attention to those appointments that you've made for me. Let me stop, because this is what God is saying to me. How are they going to? How are they going to know Jesus unless someone goes? And that someone is not. Hey, you're the preacher, man. You go. It's every single one of us. All right. 
So uh, this section of Romans is right at the heart of the book, and that's at the heart of the book for a reason, because Romans is not just a theological treatise. It's actually a missional book that calls us to recognize who am I on that one that Paul's speaking to. He's writing these words to a church just like this, and he's saying I'm calling all of us into, in, into a way of life that goes about seeking to bring the word into other people's lives. Next question. As I'm hearing this, I'm, I want you to put yourself back into, back into the, the, this, this period of time. You're a church in Rome. As I'm hearing this, here's a question that arises. Remember, most of the church in Rome at this time was made up of converted what? Converted what, guys? Jews. Jews, right. They came, they came out of Judaism. Uh, they become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, they still, there's a part of them that still kind of looks at their families and their families' families, their extended family, and says, but wait a minute, I've got, I've got you know, some uncles and some, some, some cousins and some grandparents who disagree with me, right? They, they don't, they think this Christianity stuff is, is, is a hoax, that, that Jesus is just dead, and that... Um, I'm actually, you know, we're heretics. So what do I do about this question that all of my relatives have? And the question is, if this is true, this is true that, that the word is able to make faith, it's able to cause faith, and it is, well, then what about the Jews? What about Israel? Aren't they the ones that God chose? And didn't he not speak his word into Israel? And what happened to, to Israel? Well, this, this kind of points us to another problem. And here's the problem is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to share the word of God with people uh, in context, in a winsome way, but I always know something. You, as you listen to the word, have been given an amazing power by God. Uh, the, most, the, most, the, the greatest power that you have on, on earth is not the power to make billions of dollars or to, to build an empire. or to do The greatest power you have on earth today, and you have it, is the power God gave you to reject his word. You can reject it. You can listen to it and say, you know what, that's great for someone else, not me. You can get it into you and, and actually begin to, to try to live it and then get to a point where you go, you know what, this stuff is hogwash, I don't want it anymore. I'm done with it. Right? You have the power to reject the word. And so what, what's happening is, is Paul has is, got to answer the question. He's going to have to say, look, here's Israel. Has the word been being proclaimed to Israel? Yes, it has. But guess what? Israel, i.e. my Jewish friends, Paul is Jewish, has the same power you have to actually hear the word, but then to do what? To push it away. We reject this word. And really the story of the Old Testament is a story of Israel constantly doing what? Rejecting the word, rejecting the word, rejecting the word. So kind of play this out with me and, and watch how, how Paul addresses this. Um, go to uh, verse 16. He says, um, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Um, by the way, the term obey means to come under the hearing. Uh, it's hupakuo. Uh, in group. They've not all obeyed it. They've not come under the hearing of the gospel. For Isaiah says this, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's believed it? You heard it, but did you believe it? 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I, but I ask, have they not heard? Well, they have. In fact, he says, indeed, they have. For, this is a quote from Psalm 19, the, their voice has gone out, the voice of the prophets has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? So they heard it. Did they understand it? Well, here's Paul's answer. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Right? So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, the word has gone out, and now there's what? Gentiles who are coming in. They're believers. And God's going to use those Gentiles in a pretty, pretty fascinating way to actually cause Israel to become jealous. How come they, what's, what's the deal that they're becoming the church? What about, we're Israel, we're chosen. But of Israel itself, here's what Paul is saying. They, they've heard it, but they haven't heard it. And uh, my experience in life is very much true to that, that, that as you go out and you are speaking with people about the gospel, it's easier for people to hear it, but never hear it. And uh, this is part of what it means to have that power to actually push away, uh, push away the, the word of God, to be disobedient to it, to be contrary to it. You know, um, you're, you're preaching this gospel to us, but that we don't want it. We don't need it is, is where Israel stands as, as Paul speaks these words. Go to chapter 11. I'm going to run into one of my favorite words in the Bible. Uh, we're really just continuing this question, what about Israel? So uh, Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Did God just reject Israel? Well, his answer is by no means. And Paul uses himself as an example. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. What do you mean he foreknew? Well, we kind of dealt with this in chapter 9. It's a huge question that Christians ask all the time. Does God foreknow those who will come to faith in him? Yes, he does. And in fact, here's something kind of interesting. The term foreknow, again, I'm going to go back to the Greek because it's telling here, is the term ek legu. Ek means out of, legu means the word. You're elect. You come to faith out of the word. Does he know you will do that in advance? Yes. All of it is his work. None of it is our work. And it's what Paul is trying to, to say. He says, you know what? Here I am. And think about who I was. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Right? What did I spend my life doing? Persecuting, killing Christians. Who am I today? Now I am a proclaimer of the word of God. I'm a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. How did I get that way? God foreknew it. He planned it from before my birth, and he birthed, he birthed faith in me through the word of God. Well, then what about Israel? What about the, the Jews? Uh, he, you're saying that he did not reject them? 
No, he did not reject them. They rejected him. So he goes on then, I'm, I'm in verse 2, he says, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed down to the knee of Baal. So in answering the question, he takes them back into, and I want you to see just a tiny bit of this because it's kind of fun. He takes them back to 1 Kings chapter 19 and the story of Elijah. Just go there for just a minute because it's kind of fun stuff. If you have your Bibles, just flip back over there to 1 Kings 19. And uh, if you remember with me what's going on is uh, at the very beginning of chapter 19, um, Elijah has just won the Super Bowl. Right, um, I mean, this is this follows the big battle where the, you know, the prophets of Baal have challenged him to this this Super Bowl contest, whose God is real, really God, and and of course, uh, we remember that they call on their gods and call on their gods and call on their gods, and nothing, nothing happens, and it just gets so bad that Elijah literally looks at all these people. They're like, oh, God, send down the rain, send down the fire. And, and Elijah literally looks and he goes, you know what? I think there's a problem. I think your God's sitting on the toilet. I mean, that's the literal Hebrew <coughs> translation. I think your God's in the bathroom. And boy, this upsets them, right? And so um, then what happens next is kaboom. Elijah calls out God's name and the fire comes down. This immediately follows that. And uh, what's happened is, uh, the king, his name is Ahab, uh, has gone to his wife Jezebel and told her what's happened, that Elijah has killed all of the prophets that follow Baal. Remember that uh, Ahab was probably the, the most wicked king in all of Israel's history, and part of what made him evil is his marriage to a foreign woman named Jezebel who brought brought her pagan altars into actually the hills where worship would take place uh, in, in Israel. And, and so here's Ahab who, who would kind of bow down to her desires. And her desires were what? Well, then if, if Elijah did this, if he killed all my people's prophets, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill him. And uh, remember, she, she says to Elijah, verse 2, so may the gods do to me and more if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, she says, Elijah, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. You'll be dead. Elijah becomes afraid, verse number three, and runs for his life to Beersheba. Um, left his servant there in Beersheba, went into the wilderness and sits down underneath a broom tree and asks God. I've always thought this is interesting. He asks God that he might die. You ever see that in the Bible? He asks God that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my, my father's. I, I get this question a lot of time. People go, well, is depression in the Bible? I'm like, oh, yeah. Do people ever become suicidal in the Bible? You ever read Elijah's story? He wants to die. Now, he does not say, I'm going to take my own life. But he does call on God. God, would you take me away? I've had it. I can't live anymore. And uh, in my lifetime, uh, I can't even begin to tell you the number of people who I've sat down beside or walked beside who have said to me, Luke, I don't want to live anymore. 
I, I don't know how to go on. And um, sometimes people are ashamed of that. I should have more faith. I should, I should be stronger, but I really, I, I'm not strong. I'm like, you ever read Elijah's story? He ran away and he hid. After he had won the Super Bowl, after God won the Super Bowl, he doubted God and he hid. And of course, God came to him, it says in verse 5, and, um, and brought him food to eat, um, uh, baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And uh, the angel of God came, touched him and said, get up, get up. The journey's too great for you, but it's not for God, right? He rose, he ate, he drank. And in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to horror of the mount of, of God. Um, remember that, that Elijah is the one who now gets to actually hear God's voice in a, in a very uh, beautiful way. Remember, he came to that cave and he wanted to hear God's voice and, and, and God comes to him, uh, not the way he thinks he's going to come, but in a very strange way. Um, but these are the words that Paul is quoting. So kind of walk with me again through, through these verses. Verse 9 says, He came to this cave and lodged in it, and the word of the Lord came to him. So what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, Well, I've, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And so God says, okay, go stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and, and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces uh, of rock. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. There was God in that whisper. And behold, there came a voice saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? All of us, we are all dying. I have to do this right. I planned this for a day. We are all dying to go to the wilderness of de-mask-us. <laughs> That's so bad it's good. <laughs> he says, you go to Damascus, and when you arrive, you will anoint Hazel to be king of Syria, and Yehu, the son um, of Nimshi, uh, the son of Shaphat, Amel Mahola, shall anoint the prophet in your place. Uh, and then go down to verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not uh, kissed him. Now, why is that significant? Why is, he, why is that being quoted by Paul at this time? Flip back over to Romans and I'll show you. This is probably one of my favorite words in the entire Bible. I love this word. Here's what he says. Go to verse 4, chapter 11. Read it with me again. He says, but what is God's reply to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Elijah thinks, I'm the only one. It's I and I alone. I'm the only one who believes God. And, and now you're, you're going to have to do something. And God goes, no, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have been at work. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the Lord. Why 7,000? By the way, go back to your numerology. What's the Jesus number of the Bible? 
7, right? What's the Yahweh number? 10. So you get multiples of 7s and 10s throughout the Bible. 7,000 is just pointing to that, 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 that presence of Jesus in the midst of the disbelief of, of Israel. And he uses this word, and I kind of want you to circle it. Uh, I want you to get this before we leave today. He says, so too, at the present time, there is, here's the word I want you to get, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There is a remnant chosen by grace. Born out of grace, there is a remnant. I think it's one of the most important words in the Bible. Um, Jesus comes back to it time and time again in his preaching. Uh, his disciples ask him questions like this. Lord, um, we, we noticed you were talking about the wheat and the tares. And, uh, and Jesus says, yep, I'm talking about the wheat and the tares. Well, if we got you right, the wheat are the people who are believers, and the tares, they're, they're like the weeds that get in the wheat, and um, they're the, that's the bad stuff that you're going to burn up at the end of time. So there are people who don't believe. Is that right? Jesus goes, A+. plus. You guys were paying attention. That was excellent. So now we got a question, Lord. Would it be good for us to go ahead and tear the, tear the tares out? Like, it, like in your church, should we get rid of the tares? Jesus says, no. That's my work. I'll separate the wheat and the tares. I'll do that separation, and I'll do it at the last day. Here's why that's always stuck with me is sometimes we read that as though the wheat is the church and the tares is everybody outside of the church. We're the believers, and then the unbelievers are outside of the church. That's not true. Now you're misreading Jesus' words. What is he actually saying? Inside of the church are the wheat and the tares. Um, in other words, who is the church? We've kept, we keep coming back to this question in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is unforgiving in the sense that it always comes back to this simple thing. Who is Israel? Those who've placed their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And don't, don't stop there. I, sometimes we as Luther, we just stop there. We're like, hey, that's good. I believe in Jesus. I'm good. No, no. It, what does it mean? It means that what? I, I live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who believe with their heart and with their mouths confess that I am the Lord, right? Um, how, Lord, how will we know if someone's a disciple or not? You'll know them by their fruit, right? Discipleship is not simply a matter of, hey, yep, I go to church. Not that. It's not even a matter of, yep, I believe in Jesus. It's a matter of what? The Spirit of God is living in me in such a way that I walk around with this conviction that every person I see is a soul made by God. I have a burning sense in me. I mean a, a gut-wrenching sense that every day what I'm here on earth to do is to say, how do I reach people that God has appointed for me to reach? That's to live as a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying when he speaks those words is, guess what? In the church, there's always going to be a remnant. That's the Paul word. The remnant is Israel. It is that group of people who, who trust in Jesus and live as his disciples. But there's also, inside the church and outside of the church, both wheat, those believers, and tares. And what Paul is trying to come to here is when you look at Israel, all right, what are we going to do with the Jews? Because uh, it looks like they've all just left their faith behind. Paul's saying, no, they have not all left their, their, their faith behind. 
God has reserved, even amongst the Jews, a group of people who will come to trust in him. And so as he's sending the, this, this church out into Rome, what he's saying is our work now is predominantly going to be with what? The Gentiles. It will predominantly be with them. Why? Because Israel, the Jews, have become hard to God. And God has made them hard. Those who are outside of the church, you've always considered them the tares. There's actually a remnant there amongst the Gentiles. Our work is to go out and to seek life for both parties, both within the Jews, so synagogues, as well as amongst the Gentiles. And um, uh, what, what Paul is trying to do here is to really now kind of set underneath the church uh, the foundation for the mission that's getting ready to take place where, where, where the church goes out now and begins to, to preach Jesus to, to the Gentiles in such a way that it gets the attention of the Jewish church. Let's stop there for now. Let me pray for us. Uh, my prayer for you is that you not only have a great week ahead, but I want you to just take home with you, if you wouldn't mind, take home with you this, this question. K. Russo, proclaim. How are you going to do that this week? Will you say to God, would you just take one day of this week and say to God, God, I really don't want to do this. Jeremy, are you listening to me way back there? I really don't want to do this. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to just pray today, Lord, put me in a place where I can ask someone a question. Hey, what happens to you when you die? Have that conversation. And um, maybe, just maybe, you'll become a proclaimer this week. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close out, my, my prayer is that you would, would help us not just hear these words, but to, uh, to put them into our life in such a way that they become lived out. There are everyday people around us who you made for yourself. You desire to see them in, in eternity. And sometimes we walk by them without a thought at all. Lord, uh, this week, stop us. Somewhere along the way, give us that appointment that allows us just to ask another person, hey, what do you think about this hope, this Jesus? And Lord, as we do that, uh, we, we live out uh, the calling that you've given to us. Lord, be with us in the week ahead. We ask your blessings for uh, our country, for those who lead this country. We are praying over this church, Lord, as we, um, we really, it's been, a tough, it's been a tough six weeks and there's more road ahead. Lord, uh, be our strength. We pray for that strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great rest of the week.